podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hello. 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 Uh, how you doing, guys? Dave, you all right? I'm all right, yeah. I've, uh, although I've got some terrible news, my... Um, my wife came home today after picking up my little boy from, from nursery and we've got a three-year-old's birthday party on Sunday at 3 till 5 p.m. Ooh. That's the worst possible news that that story could have ended with. <laughs> I had to stop myself throwing in so many inappropriate jokes there. <laughs> Just what the fuck? Like, I'm going to have to try and get out of it. I'm going to have to. I think I've I've decided that at toddler's birthday parties, it's perfectly okay to sit in the corner and look at your phone and then just like start hopping around the table when the cake comes out, whispering to the other dads, are the parents going to get any? There's enough for parents there. They're going to offer it to the parents. (laughs) That's what I've decided. It's okay to do at birthday parties. Uh, Paul, are you okay? I'm good. I'm also, my Sunday's looking like I might be driving between sort of two and five. I'm trying to rejig my Sunday. But then, I mean, this is all for the Man U away game, which isn't on TV, even though it's two o'clock on a Sunday, which I find baffling. Bastards. They're bastards. Uh, I've got a tweet here from uh, Penn's World. And he says, does doing the natter feel a bit pointless now that everything is going well and we're on our way to being a well-run, functioning club? Do you secretly crave the return of Bruce as his antics would guarantee 45 minutes of great content each week? <laughs> I mean, I see what he's getting at. Yeah. Do you, Paul? I do in a way. Because you think in the time we've been doing the pod, some of the batshit mental things we've had to discuss... Things like Joe Kinnear scouting one of our own players and not realising, or that press conference where, <laughs> which one of you, Simon Bird, you're a cunt. <laughs> there, there's been no end of madness. And now like the topics of discussion are much better from a fan's point of view, but it's quite hard to get worked up of like, there's not a huge amount interesting to say about we're playing a really good high press. Yeah. <laughs> but we're getting more recoveries than ever before in the final. There were a lot third. of opportunities. There were a lot of opportunities for Gallo's humour, weren't they, Dave? I, I, I like to think that the Mike Ashley era was a bit like sort of, although 1930s Germany was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was the was Newcastle Natter the thriving cabaret scene? Yeah, it was actually a thriving <laughs> cabaret scene. There was a lot of good art that came out of it. Well, it's also a lot easier to be angry and talk a lot about how how shit performances are or how, you know, insufferable the manager is or something. Um, I mean, Jesus, the, right now, I mean, there's still plenty wrong at the club. We can still talk about what's wrong at the club. It just gets a bit, it's a bit hard to make it uh, entertaining when our owners are, you know, fucking awful. Um, 
Well, with that all said, now let's go through the the miserable sort of workings of just going through our 5-1 victory against... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's entertaining, wasn't it? It was, it, was it was a good, fun match. There was plenty going on. Uh, Paul, you watched it, didn't you? I did. It sounds mad to say. I thought Brentford were quite good. I was quite worried for a lot of the game. I mean, um, this sounds a very stupid thing to say, but barring their three massive fuck-ups, <laughs> they, they played quite well. I thought they were... They played better than Fulham, say, in the game before, or even Palace and Bournemouth. I thought Brentford yeah. looked a much better outfit, and uh, especially when they got the goal back, the Tony penalty. I was scared, yeah. but luckily we've got Bruno, who won't let Newcastle fans be scared for more than two minutes. I know. He, looked, he looked offended that Brentford <laughs> would try to come back into the game, so he just ran 40 yards and smashed the ball in. So what did you think about the penalty that they they received. I mean, oh, it was a I've hammer. Got no memory of it whatsoever. It was Dan Byrne had his hand up in the air, which I think you would say was in an unnatural position, even though he's facing away from the ball, and the ball hit his arm. I've, to be honest, I don't know the new handball rule well enough to know if it should have been. I know I didn't want it to be a penalty, if that counts. <laughs> But it's 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 interesting because that weekend there were a bunch of different questionable handball decisions. Like um, I think it was th- there was one where the the was it Saliba of of Arsenal gave like um, didn't didn't have a penalty awarded against him because it was deemed it was too close and there was no intention for him to hit the ball. Well, Burn was like right next to the player. And like you say, Paul, he was facing away and his arm was off. But I don't think that, like, jumping with your arms by your side is not natural. So this unnatural position is horseshit. It was um, up in the air, though. It wasn't, like, by but his Yeah, side. but if you jump, if you jump... And I do. You want to get, all the time. You, ele- like, you lift your hands to get elevation or to, like... To kind of balance yourself in the air. Nope. You just jump. You jump like an Irish dancer. Just I like, jump, oh, hands behind my head, land into a knee slide, yeah. <laughs> light up a cigarette, get on my motorcycle <laughs> and ride off. I'm I only days. Ju- These days, I only jump into a pool of babes. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, to be honest as well, on the handball, it's hard to engineer any kind of feeling on it because we won 5-1. Yeah, fair. Uh, look, I'm trying, I mean, mine, managed, I'm trying to mine it. I'm trying to mine it. You've yeah. managed to find the, <laughs> the most turgid piece of information to get. <laughs> the handball, I, I, I don't get it. I don't... I, just, I feel like it is always going to be... Everything's always going to be open to interpretation and there's always just going to be people screaming at clouds going... Mm. But this one was given and this one wasn't. And it's like, well, it's always going to be a nuanced thing because it's not a binary thing about, like, yeah. it's not like engineering. It's like, actually, no. it, it's just, it's it's almost, it's almost art. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's always going to be. There's never going to be a robotic consistency across all referees, just like there won't across 
all traffic wardens. Like some will <laughs> give you a ticket for something and some won't. Speaking of robotic consistency. <laughs> Lovely. Is yeah. Bruno Gimaraes, based on his performances since he joined the club, have we in the Premier League era, era had a better midfielder? I, I personally, I would say that he's ahead of Kabai already, and Johan Kabai is often talked about as being one of our best central midfielders. I would say that the only two that are in the conversation with him are Rob Lee and Gary Speed, but then they were there for a long time, and there's a certain degree of nostalgia because of the success, or you know, kind of success that we enjoyed while they were at their peak with us. So I think Bruno has to be here for a little bit longer and for us to be playing at that higher level for me to immediately say, oh yeah, he is a better player. I mean, technically, I would say that he's got more ability than Gary Speed or Rob Lee, but their longevity, I've got to... We'll see. We'll see how his form... Yeah, I'm just talking about... I mean, again, there's no death finite answer to this but like he uh he's only been with us a while but on his performances so far i mean the last great midfielder that i remember is what well, i remember them as a duo kabai and teote mm. but i mean is it hyperbole to suggest that he's almost both players in one I think he's not far i think that's the thing with bruno is he's the most complete midfielder i think we've ever had but if you look at, there was something, I don't know if it was on Match of the Day or on Twitter or something, but he's all those kind of metrics for midfielders like through balls, carries, ex- exorcist, yeah. carries, but also tackles. Exorcist? <laughs> As it expected assists. Right, okay. He's done the most exorcisms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I've just got this but image of just... him like clicking holy water at. <laughs> yeah. But he, I think in a way, he's probably not as good a defensive midfielder as Teote, but he, or as like uh, Kante, say. But he can do, I can't think of many other midfielders that can do all of those things. There's normally some kind of trade-off. Yeah. I think um, Jamie Carragher was talking about it with Roy Keane on some show. And uh, Carragher was, his his statement was that he is like you're saying Paul the complete midfielder and we talk a lot about oh we need a defensive midfielder or, or he's an excellent attacking midfielder like Kevin De Bruyne he, he contributes to the defensive na- the, the defending that Man City do but he doesn't get like he doesn't mm. get stuck into the tackles like Bruno does and he but he is more attacking so I, I think he is he is complete but I'd much rather him doing all of his business at the top end of the pitch and have somebody, like if we could find uh, someone like Teote. Is he a bit like a modern version of early Roy Keane? Like the first half of Roy Keane's Man United career where he was yeah. more progressive? Yeah. Him and Brian Robson are the two that spring to mind for me. Because he's not like a Kabai in the se- or De Bruyne in the sense of like, uh, you know, well, he does play in some really nice long passes, but he's yeah, not... no, he's got that in his locker. 
I was going I mean, to say that, that, that playmaker. He is a playmaker, isn't he? But yeah. I don't. Even, I, I guess I don't, I don't see him as like a free kick taker. But that's not. That's actually a small thing of football, isn't it? Yeah. Ah. I know. I know what you're trying to get at. Like he, 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 he maybe isn't as uh, I don't know, like as graceful, maybe as. As De Bruyne yeah. is, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. But he's got that sort of Roy Keane sort of dynamism. Yes, mm. yeah. I like him. I think we should keep him. Oh, this this thing about you see this thing about like uh, Real Madrid and him saying that uh, you know, Real Madrid's the best football team on the planet, and you know they're, they're amazing. Yeah, yes. Like I'm paraphrasing, but he's essentially saying, yeah, they're great. But then he immediately says. But I want to stay in, you know, I, I I want to do well here and I want to be a legend here and all the rest of it. And this is, I think we spoke about it before, where like if someone like Real Madrid comes in for Bruno Gumiaris and throws all the money in the world at us, we'd probably take it because like... Yeah, that sounds like a man who's saying, I would like to play for Real Madrid, but... I, I should probably say something after that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's hardly who, closing the door on the speculation, is it? No, but then who would close the door? Like Erling Haaland's only just moved to Man City, but if Real Madrid come knocking and they throw two hundred million pound at him, he'll go to Real Madrid because I'm happy to close the door on any speculation about me going to Real Madrid. I'm happy to rule it out now. <laughs> yeah. I will rule it out. Uh, so. Let's have a break now, and then there's still lots more to talk about uh, in the Brentford game and lots of correspondence from you. And there's also the thorny issue of the name of our stadium. Much to talk about, but we'll speak to you in a moment. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Good break, guys. Lovely. Superb. We've got a question Superb. from... Superb. Super, what were you going for? Scottish? Aye. Uh, yeah. Bit both. About, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, I did... I filmed an advert in Rotterdam with a Dutch director called Sven Super. <laughs> And he said things like "superb," yes, and then that I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm just doing it Scottish, but I don't know why. But that reminded me of that. Okay, <laughs> it's a nice walk down memory lane. Thanks. Yeah, great. Yeah, more on adverts that I've done through the years on f- your future podcasts. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Paul M says. Does Murphy keep his place on Sunday after starting in two big wins, or does Anna St. Maxman come back into the starting 11? Ditto Joe Linton, as in, does he come back into the squad uh, or the starting 11? What do you think on that? Jacob Murphy, Dave. I think Jacob Murphy's doing a really good job at the minute. He's clearly not as good as St. Maxman, but the level of pressing that that kid's doing, that kid, he's, he's a grown man, that man's doing, um, is allowing us to to maintain that level of pressure up the top end of the pitch. Now, against Man U, I don't know if we're going to be pressing as high 
and his lack of technical ability and his lack of like killer balls and stuff, there's a good argument to drop him. But it was his pressing that got it, got us the um, the it was the second goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the goal that he actually scored, but it was his pressing without touching the ball that created yeah. it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I I think there's a really good argument to for starting with the same eleven, but introducing St. Maximum and Joel Linton later on in the game, but earlier than they have been introduced. So, like bringing them on when we need a bit of physicality in the centre of the park that Joel Linton can provide, and if we need to. Um, take advantage of some tired legs and stuff, and bring them up, bring St. Maximum as like an impact. And Jesus, like the the goal that the own goal that um, Ethan Pinnock scored for us, um, that was because St. Maximum, with a simple drop of his shoulder, a quick change of direction, he beat one man and put a beautiful slide rule pass through for Joel Linton to run on, and Joel Linton like put the cross in that Pinnock turned through. But I think that if you start Joel Linton, Bruno doesn't get as much freedom because currently Sean Longstaff is playing the almost out-and-out defensive midfield role. Like, he still gets involved in attacks and stuff, but he's more, he's there to do the breaking up. And I don't know if you get that with Joel Linton, who prefers to push forward with it. I like I like the idea of, I've always been Murphy's biggest defender, Um He's not turned into the player that I had hoped, but he is doing a lot of good work. And I do, I'm persuaded by the art. Obviously, as the season goes on, you expect St. Maximum to be starting before Jacob Murphy. On that point, I like the argument that it, against Man U, that you start with Jacob Murphy because he's in such a good run of form, and then you would hope. That and because you can have five substitutes this season, that doesn't you pretty much guarantee to be able to have an opportunity to bring on from the bench the substitutes that you'd hope to do beforehand. And I would like to think that we will still be in the game early on in the second half. And Sit Maximum is a game changing player who can come on with a point to prove and do something. So as I was going to ask you a question about uh, something you just said, where you said that Jacob Murphy hadn't become the the player that you thought he could be. I would put it to you that he has. It's just the, the standards of the rest of the team have risen so much that actually Jacob Murphy, he is like we all all thought that he would be like a, well, we all hoped he would be like a mid-table Premier League Dave, have you heard Fergus talk about, talk about Jacob Murphy? <laughs> I he really thought he was the next Ronaldinho. I had wild expectations for Jacob Murphy. I, I remember me and Paul went to see uh, Newcastle at Stamford Bridge a few years ago, and we were pretty much destroyed by Chelsea. But there were a few mazy runs from Jacob Murphy that got me thinking that he was the next something. You know, I was, I, I, uh, I had high hopes for him. Oh, so saying, we're talking I'm like not your... saying, I'm not saying Ballon d'Or. I'm <laughs> saying Sean Wright Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's sort of, 
fast starting to look like our best dribbler behind St. Maximin. And he's probably a better presser than him. I think the the most encouraging thing with Murphy and a few other players in our squad is that before there was this kind of quite large section of our squad where you thought they're on not bad wages and we'll never be able to sell them on. Whereas you think players like Fabian Scher, who you thought would have to go on a free at some point, Murphy, Emil Kraft, suddenly they're decent players who you can get money for, but also they're very good for squad cohesion because they're good enough now when they come in, but they're not expecting to start. I think even after the last two games he's had, Murphy can't really complain if St. Maximum comes in for him. It's quite hard to have that type of squad to manage. Uh, Andy Sheldon says, what areas do you see us trying to strengthen in January and which players would make sense for us? Uh, What I would suggest is uh, that, I say what I would suggest, despite the fact that one of you made this point, before we actually started recording the podcast, but I was going to give you the opportunity to say <laughs> that, that uh, beforehand, a lot of people have been talking about right wing, hadn't they? That had been the assumption. Yeah, a couple need, of people have was, been talking about it before this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the role that we needed to fill. But Dave, Paul, <laughs> do you feel like in the last few games there's anything, any players that have form that has sort of like changed perhaps changed the thinking on that that's wow, a really great, good great question. question yeah how did you that's that's why you're paid the big box paul yeah. what do you think i mean yeah miggy looks like a, a different player this is a, you sort of think we'll know more about who we need to sign when we get there because every time you think there's a gap in our squad something seems to happen on the training pitch that creates these new players with the same names. Yeah, no one had anticipated Joe Linton becoming one of the Premier League's best midfielders. Yeah. I would say there's still some significant weaknesses in our squad. I think we're lacking uh, like a, a defensive midfielder that, that can really get the most out of the Willock and um, Gumir Ersh and even Joe Linton. I don't think Sean Longstaff's that player, even though he's playing well. I still think that I this think on is the, the best Sorry, just form. on the Longstaff stuff. Yeah. I, I think Bruno's been playing as a number six and Longstaff's been playing as an eight. I think Bruno, even against Brentford, was our defensive midfielder. So you sort of think... I agree Longstaff and Willock probably both don't get into our starting eleven. But I think mm. when Shelby comes back, maybe he goes back into there and Bruno goes further up. Well, and the other thing is that this is the peak of Almiron's form, in my opinion. So I think that I think the right right side of the, the pitch is still somewhere where we could strengthen, even though Isaac can play out there and so can Almiron. St. Maximum can swap wings. Murphy can swap wings. You could put Anderson out there, but if we were to get somebody, and I, I use him just because it's a, a measure of the the calibre of player that we're now able to attract. If we were to go off and get James Madison, f- fucking of course you do. Musa Diaby, of yeah. oh, fucking of course you do, because they are better than the best that we've got by orders of magnitude. Yeah, because we have 
you know, it's just a complete changing of mindset, isn't it? Where, you know, actually top six squads have a few good players in every position. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, if January comes along and we, if we do go off and sign, say, just for argument's sake, we go off and spend 30, 40 million on James Madison. I wouldn't be surprised if we also pulled in a young striker from Poland, uh, a young defender from somewhere else, and fattened out the the depth of the squad. Like we've seen that Garang Kual, who's likely to be shipped out straight away on loan, so he can get his his visa. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we were off to sign some young players to fatten out the squad, and actually the first team doesn't change much, only by one player. Right. Um, what else? What else? Sorry, I just like went into a complete daze there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, do you want to talk more about the fucking adverts you did in Northern Europe? Yeah, all right. I've done... Um... <laughs> I'm regretting it already. I'm regretting it. <laughs> Yeah, I've done a lot. I did an anusol advert in Germany. <laughs> did an anusol advert in Italy. Did an anusol advert. <laughs> You're the face of anusol. Yeah. There's yeah, nice. a podcast title for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was for a while the face of uh, European insurance. I did. I've done about three or four insurance adverts for different countries, like Switzerland, Netherlands, Norway. There was just something about my face for a while that made Europeans want to buy insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just look at you and think, "Better not risk it." <laughs> uh, Gatehead chap says, "Stadium rights, naming rights. Is it worth it?" Um, this is something that's come up in the last couple of days. Dave, tell us how that came about. Well, essentially, because yeah, well, well, there was an interview. With, there was an interview with Darren Eels today on BBC Newcastle. Um, you know who he is? He's our CEO. Yeah. And there's talk that we're um, appointing Peter Silverstone who's um, going to be coming on as like chief commercial officer, so CCO. And the idea is that essentially we're at the limit of our spending powers right now, even with all the money that the Saudis have got, because our incoming cash stream isn't, isn't big enough because Ashley just neglected it for the 14 years. So the idea is we need new new income streams, and part of that is – commercialization, naming rights for the stadium, surely new sponsorship deal instead of, um, uh, what do you call it? On Fun 88. One, yeah, yeah, bet. Fun 88. Um, we've already got like noon um, sleeve sponsors. We've got all of these things. That's what the guy's being brought into, this Peter Silverstone. Part of that is naming the stadium. And I'm, I'm torn on this because... I think that if we want to attract the best players, we have to be able to give them good wages, which means we have to increase our commercial side of things. I'm really 
nervous that we're going to end up with like Saudi Air at St. James's Park or the Saudi Air Stadium or whatever. I think or, they're saying the the name St. James's Park will still be included in it. But I think as well that the plan seems to be to have a series of sort of town hall style consultations with fans to see if it would fly or not. My hunch is that unlike the sports direct at St. James's thing, this would be less unpopular with fans because it, money would be flowing into the club from it rather than potential value flowing out because mm. of it. And because there's a general vibe now that amongst a large proportion of the fan base, for understandable reasons, that everything Mike Ash, if Michael Ash, Mike Ashley came up with an idea, it was awful. And if the Saudis do it, it's amazing because they're amazing. Thank you to our wonderful owners. If the Saudis introduced giant mugs, we'd go mad. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I do think that it's like Paul says, there's a stark difference between what, like the having the town hall meetings to discuss it, having like um, like saying, "Oh, St James's Park is going to stay in it," rather than the owners just going, "Oh, we're we're going to advertise Saudi Air, and we're not going to give you any money for it. We're not even going to talk to you about it, and we're going to call it something clunky and awful, and we're going to plaster the 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 um, the roof and have like Saudi Air like." Um, banners everywhere I, I i think that that's a better way of doing it for st james's park i am still not sold on the idea of naming rights for stadiums because i think it's it's a shame it, it takes it further away from the the original club the original beating yeah. heart of the I, city i don't have like if you take the saudis out of it hmm. i'm not that bothered i mean i'm a, I'm no more bothered about the name of a stadium than I am any other part of the commercialization of football. I would be, I would rather get rid of shirt sponsors, <laughs> but that's not going to happen, right? Unless you're not in a forest, you know, sort it out. <laughs> I, do, I, don't, I don't like shirt sponsors is a part of football. That's not changing. But the, the shirt means more to me than the name of the stadium. I don't really give a shit about that. I, I, give, I give a bit of a shit. But, like, in terms of... It, I accept that football is one of the most commercial enterprises on earth. Like it is... That's the way it is. The horse has bolted, really, hasn't it? On... Exactly. So I'm, I'm not... I'm not that bothered about the name of the stadium. I'd be more bothered if, like, we were going to move stadium to some, like, oh, you know. So, yeah. so I'm if they if they were to build a new stadium, like on Exhibition Park, just behind St James's, like if they were just to brand new stadium, call it whatever the fuck you like. I like I don't care then. Like genuinely, if they wanted to call it, you know, Al Qaeda, no. I that's maybe a bit too far. Um, I wouldn't care what they called the new stadium. Renaming St. James's Park, it takes a little bit away from me. It really does. It would be like if they were to rename Anfield or Old Trafford. But when yeah. 
Um, Eastlands was now referred to solely as the Etihad. I don't care because it's a brand new stadium. No, I understand. I don't. I don't. If you gave me a choice between changing the name of St James's and not changing it, I would choose not to change it. But like, mm. like I say, it's it's not. In, yeah. it's, it feels like it feels like holding your handbags up at like little things when, like Paul says, the the horse is bolted. In terms of it, Saudi, I you know my. I've a lot on this. I, anything to do with our owners, anything that reminds me of it, makes me feel a bit queasy. Mm. And so, think, would you, if it was like the um, something akin to the AIG Arena, like if 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 or the AIG at St James's Park, whatever they call it, like if it was a, a a hedge fund who was sponsoring us, or like fucking Twitter or something like, like would you? the Twitter arena, would you, would you mind? Well, yeah, I would mind, but like what I'm saying is it's, you know, I've sort of like come to peace with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I think I it's on not peace with the new owners, but like, no. I think it was not that it is a binary choice, but if it was a choice between renaming St. James's Park or going to a new stadium, I would much rather renaming St James's Park. Really? Yeah. The new stadium would almost certainly be sort of out of town. I th- that feels like the historical community asset that has to be protected. I think if there's a well, new that... name that includes St James's Park in it and there's a sponsor on it, that doesn't feel well, that the two, mental. The two sites that have been talked about to to build a new stadium are on the site of the current Newcastle Arena, which is right by the riverside, and there is sufficient land there to have, a, you know, fucking 70,000, 80,000-seater stadium and all the stuff that goes with it, like the car parking situation everything, and also just moving St. James's Park about, you know, 400 yards into the into Exhibition Park and into Lisa Park behind it. So it... The, the the talk is there's no there's no appetite for moving it out to like fucking Gosforth or anything like that. No, it's the only two sites that I've heard talk about are those two, which are city centre sites. Moving moving stadium. I'm just, I didn't expect us to talk about this, but can't, might as well very quickly. Moving a moving stadium has two like big obvious things going for it. One more revenue, which is sort of negligible really, and Premier League football now, anyway, and two that more fans would get to see them. So you can't like argue with that, really. But I don't really, I don't really like new stadiums. I went to the yeah. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday, which is meant to be like the best of the new stadiums. I think it's fine, but I used to love White Hart Lane. I like the old mm. Sabutio stadiums. It's like compare the old and the new West Ham grounds. The like one was far, far superior. I, I I know that you know Upton Park was was a great old ground, and the new park. It's not a football stadium. It's a it's it's not. If if you compared like if you go to I don't know if if you went to if you go to Goodison Park, it's a fucking shithole. 
uh, it is. It's a. It's an awful old stadium, and Goodison it Park is, uh, is one of my favourite stadiums. I fucking hate it. Terrible old stadium. But I think as well, there are ways of growing without moving stadium. You can keep, like if you look at Old Trafford, say, it's not necessarily the best stadium, but it still has that old feel, and has managed to grow into a modern like mega stadium. The when, only you build, when you build a new stadium, <laughs> basically, when you build a new stadium, you have to make it as comfortable as you can, right? Yeah. You make it, like, you do all the things that are sensible to do building a stadium in the modern world. I would much rather go to Goodison Park because I like those old shitholes. I think they've got, like, a real... Character. Character, exactly. The only thing... The stadium, which is, like, as far as I'm aware, is the best that you can do with a new stadium... And there's nothing that I can like tangibly complain about about it, but I'd rather be in Goodison Park. So the only thing that stops St James's Park from being expanded on site is the Grade One listed buildings um, behind the East Stand, Lees's Terrace. So essentially, for anybody who doesn't know, if it's a Grade One listed, you you can't knock it down. It's like you you can't fucking touch that thing. So we you couldn't really expand. The East Stand, which is currently the smallest stand, you could you could fatten out the Gallagher. You could definitely like build back and build up. You'd lose Strawberry Place, which is the road there, but you could turn it into some kind of fucking fan park or something and weave a road around it. So there are ways to expand St James's, but I don't know. Okay, well, problem sure with all that. of these things. What if you do the construction work to do it and? A kitty gets hurt. <laughs> then what? What do you do about that? Yeah, Dave. Are you for are you? Are you for kitties getting hurt? <laughs> well, are you pro um, kitties getting hurt, Dave. Just depends just where the problem is. I think we just need to stop it. You're just jumping into this so recklessly. <laughs> okay. What if a big pile of bricks fall on a kid? Yeah. As long as it's not mine. Motherfucker. Got all these steel girders. Imagine if that landed on some kiddies. What if what if you two are teaching they... a lot about kiddies? What I'm if gonna turn this build... round on you two. Why are you thinking about kids so much? What's what going on? They... What if they build a new stadium and when they're like going into the the place where they've set out to build it and they're looking at building the foundations and everything and then they found find an ancient burial ground and then like the club gets haunted yeah and whatever pram falls in it not... <laughs> yeah whatever pram falls in it with with a kid with in a kitty. it <laughs> <laughs> with a kitty <laughs> well it's not called the Gallagher for jokes it's literally where we killed people exactly. so there will be right. well that's I've never thought about that so I guess, I guess that was part of the appeal for the Saudis. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about that. Okay, uh, our next game is on Sunday. It's against Manchester United. Uh, it is away, as Paula said. It's a two o'clock kickoff, but it's not on British TV, unfortunately. Although I will be in Corfu, so maybe it'll be on TV there. Who knows? Mm. Um, what are you your filming thoughts? an anus, all that? 
Yeah, another one. <laughs> any uh, any burglars in the Camberwell area listening? <laughs> Fergus is going to be in Corfu. Yeah, mine's the biggest house. <laughs> um, Manchester United, Old Trafford. What do you think, Dave? I think it's a difficult one to judge because they're morphing right, we'll into a, <laughs> they're morphing into a counter attack side, and we're morphing into a possession side. So it's they've got some excellent players. Martial is going to be injured, but they've got that Anthony kid. They've got fucking Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandez. They've still got very very good players. Anthony um, looks very good, doesn't he? Yeah. It looks like he maybe does more tricks than are necessary, necessary, but then he does um, seem to have some serious end product. And mm. um, so I'm not. I, I'd be happy with the draw. You'd be happy with the draw, but what's your prediction for the score? Uh, draw one one. One one. Paul. I think they're playing. We're recording on Wednesday. They play on Thursday night, don't they? Mm-hmm. I think help. I don't know. It's weird. I think this is the most confident I've been going into Man U away. But that says more about our improvements than I think they've improved on last season. If it was Man U last season and Newcastle this season, I'd quite comfortably think 2 0. Or Man U a month ago. Yeah. Or six weeks ago or whatever it was. I think, I think we're going to win. I've also just checked, and they've got they've got um, Tottenham after us on the Wednesday. So they've got the was it Nicosia or something like that? Then us, then Tottenham. It's a string of difficult games for them. So three one, you say, Paul? I think three one. Three one away at Old Trafford. Yep, that'd be great. Um, what about you? Brilliant. I think we'll lose two one. <laughs> I don't really know. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> I thought we knew. I thought we were I, doing this. I think it's one of those instances where I think you're right. We've got a much better chance than we have had in 90% of our fixtures against Man United in the last 15 years. So all results are possible. As in win, lose, or draw. It is nice to be a team where the opposition is going into games thinking, why do we have to play them now? Kind of thing. Mm. That's not happened for a long time. And it feels like things have, I don't want to say turned around, but we all agreed that we'd put in a lot of good performances this season. But a couple of weeks ago, we'd only won one game, we'd only lost one game, and the rest had been draws. In the last uh, two weeks, we've had a four-one and a five-one, and it's we've never. Yeah. It's been it's twenty years or something since we've had two games with that margin of victory. So, in a row. But I think just the performances before these two these latest two games have been good enough to win the games. It's just we've been lacking Callum Wilson or St Maximum or Bruno, which is you know. yeah, and there've been a lot of um, bad decisions, but mm. like. That was, the, that was the thing about these last two games as well. We have been, we've still been lacking players. We've been, we've been, uh, Isak 
has been unavailable. Joe Linton's been unavailable. St. Maxman's been unavailable. And yet we've won both those games handsomely. So we are at what looks like the beginnings of a very good run of form, hopefully. Uh, we'll see. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle NASA listener. Goodbye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.